The work of the CIO has always been very strategic for every enterprise. We shifted, you know, 350,000 people from 85% of the people being in the office on a Friday to, uh, to having everyone, you know, from home on Monday morning, right? So that wouldn't be possible without a, a significant technology infrastructure investment. We're discussing technology investment planning for 2022 with Nicola Marini Bianzino. He is the Global Chief Technology Officer at EY. You were a professional basketball player before you became the CTO of this huge company. Yeah, I was. I was. I was uh, it feels like in another life now, right? But, um, you know, I spent 13 years of my life actually playing in the professional uh, basketball league in Europe. And so from there, I started my consulting career. And then, you know, my last job, this one, is, uh, is the CTO of EY. So very different, but also similar in some respects. People talk about our modern work life as going through different phases of their career. But going from being a professional athlete to being a global CTO, that's a, that's a real shift. I had to, um, it's a little bit of a jump, right? So was I equipped uh, perfectly when I started, you know, my consulting career, probably not. But, you know, I think sports is kind of a microcosm, right, of what, uh, uh, you know, of, of life in general. I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but but there are some lots of similarities in the way, you know, you approach a, a sport performance um, and, you know, what you need to do at the, for example, corporate strategy, how you interact, teamwork, you know, the fact that you're trying to build an organization that strives for, uh, a, a vision and ambition, which is in sports, is like winning a game or winning a season. And, uh, you know, in the corporate life, maybe it's to achieve some specific, you know, performance target. But there are similarities. There are, of course, things that are different, right? So I don't need to take, fortunately, uh, care of my bodies the same way I had to do when I was playing basketball. But, you know, there are, you know, the competition is, is out there, no matter where you are, right, in the world. And so I think that was a great, uh, great school for me. You're in a very competitive environment now in enterprise technology. So to start, give us, uh, give us a sense of your role as Global CTO. What do you do? And, and just a little bit of context about EY. So EY, as you said, it's what about $40 billion company. We have, you know, our employee count changes on a daily basis, actually. But, you know, what about 350,000 people? We operate in almost 200 countries, so very, very large corporation. Um, we do. We have four main businesses, right? So tax uh, is one. So tax consulting, and also we do a lot of uh, tax prep work for for our clients. Assurance audit is actually our largest business, and then we have a very strong consulting practice that has three, effectively three divisions. One is specific on business. The other one is on technology, and the third one is on strategy. And finally. I think as part of still of the consulting organization, we are you know we are um, in, in in a business called transaction, which is really focused on M and A. So, a very very large portfolio of businesses across a complex you know uh, environment you know globally. Of course, EY is a professional services organization. So, in your role as global chief technology officer, what does that encompass? The way we have organized technology at EY, effectively, we had divided into uh, areas, which I think, you know, when, when that decision was made, I think it was very um, forward-looking, right? So we have a, an organization and uh, my colleague, Steve George, CIO, 
that is specialized on the operations of the enablement technologies that we use in the firm, right? So for example, our ERP implementations internally, our billing systems, you know, everything to do with productivity suite, uh, networks in the offices and so on. And then I actually represent another part of the business, which is uh, connected to the growth, right? So I'm, I'm responsible for all the technology that generates revenue for the firm. And so my job really is to work with our business organizations, you know, to, 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 to build technologies that they need to deliver the services, which is very interesting because I think, you know, it shows that, you know, the future of technology in an organization really is made of these two uh, different dimensions, right? You know, dimensions that is focused on operations and another one that is focused on growth. And um, when I, you know, I, and, and the other interesting thing, I think, for my role is that I actually sit on the board of the firm, okay? So which was a very important statement that our CEO, Carmine Edisibio, wanted to pass to, you know, to the markets, but also internally, right? The fact that technology is so important that, you know, we have a representative for technology sitting on the board at the same level as the leaders of the business organizations. Your part of technology is extremely strategic to the firm, obviously as evidenced by the fact that, that you sit on the board. That was the, the key message, right? I'm the first technologist actually to sit on the board of EY from you know, the beginning of, of the firm. And so that was not, of course, not about me, it was about the message, right? So we believe that technology is a factor of production for us. And so the same way the labor and capital are, and so that's why, you know, the message was that, you know, as we um, <clears throat> launch our strategy for the 2020s was to actually underline the importance of technology in that context. As you talk with your various clients across many different industries, many different company sizes, as you look across EY, how do you start to break down the thought process of planning for the investments that you make in technology or that we that we as business people should make in general? Of course, it's something that we have to deal with uh, alone, right? I have to speak to a lot of clients all the time and they always ask me the same question, right? So how should they look at investment? And honestly, I don't, I don't think I have figured it out completely, <laughs> I think. But, you know, there are some things I think that uh, we need to take into account as that uh, thought process gets executed, right? The first one is that, you know, it, we always say that, but I think it's more true now than it was probably five or 10 years ago. We really, we live in a, in a microeconomic, macroeconomic environment that is really complex, super dynamic. You know, the pandemic is one element, but there are also a lot of other things in, in the way, right? So to think about the, for example, even 10 years ago, right through, right after the financial crisis, the markets experienced a, a I guess, a starvation of the, the demand for goods and services. Now the problem is the supply of goods and services. So we live in a constantly evolving economic environment. And so being able these days to use a traditional approach, approach to budgeting, which is usually based on the fact that, you know, IT is considered a function within an enterprise on a 12, 12 uh, months life cycle, yearly life cycle. It's not, it's not sufficient anymore, right? So the market moves fast, macroeconomy, the, the macroeconomic um, framework, you know, throws unexpected things at us every day, you know, inflation rising, supply chain problems, and so on. 
And so we need, I think, all of us, right, um, to think about how we, we deal with the level of complexity, right? So we cannot, you know, I, I, when I talk to a, a lot of my colleagues, right, they all say that, you know, I don't have the flexibility anymore to be able to um, plan for an investment that is, you know, two, three years down in the future, right? So I had to do it almost on a quarterly basis. And even on that quarterly basis, I have to be able to adjust and constantly evolve, you know, the, the, the direction with the business. And so the, the, the need for speed dynamism, I think, is calling for a, a, a different approach and a traditional approach to the budgetary you know, IT function. Which, of course, then begs the question, what is that approach? What we have done is that we've been disciplined in terms of establishing a, um, a dichotomy, right, in the sense that we wanted to, of course, you know, there are lots of operational uh, costs that we have to deal with every year, right? That those don't change that much year after year. But we managed to kind of set them in a in a place where you know we we can we, we can control them, we can manage them, and, and most importantly, we can forecast what the impact is going to be. And then everything that is related to growth, we have actually we're treating it in a different way, meaning we have a we're shifting from a mindset focused on the function of technology to the business of technology, which means that you know our investment are very much anchored on specific products that are embedded in our in our services offerings. So that means that if the product, so we are creating uh, you know pro forma PLs right for each one of the products. That then you know will uh, will tell us if actually the product is driving those benefits that it's supposed to drive. So we went from a mechanism where we were allocating, effectively giving a check to all the business functions to do their own technology development to actually forcing the business function to adopt a product-centric approach. So in order to get the funding, they had to show that there is a product that they want to build. The product has to be compatible with our technology platform, and that product has to have its own business case and life cycle like any other product. And so if the product is not driving those benefits that it's supposed to drive, you know, we're going to terminate it. So it's not, I don't think it's, you know, a particularly genius approach or radically different, uh, but it's an approach that requires a lot of discipline. But when you get that discipline in place, I think the benefits are, are really great. Well, it seems like this approach would force an alignment between the technology and the desired outcomes. We all know the history of uh, large failed IT projects where in too many cases, IT says, oh, we did this great project. You know, it was on time, it was within budget and went to the business. And you say, IT did this thing. I don't even know what it is or why they did it. I have always had that kind of a little bit of a problem with this concept of the digital transformation. Not that we don't need the digital transformation. Of course, you know, every organization needs to become digital. Okay, so that is, it goes without saying. But the way sometimes these initiatives are managed, are usually, are, first of all, are open-ended. And they're very much focused on identifying a, a good technology, a cool technology that we want to adopt, but without really linking it with that level of discipline to a business outcome. And so if you think about our services, right, especially in, uh, you know, uh, our, our jobs are very much, you know, judgment-based, right, across all that, what we do. And they require a lot of data analysis. They require a lot of intelligence and, exp and expertise. And so if we don't use technology properly to deliver those services, right, we're going to be at a disadvantage. But that kind of a 
understanding and uh, awareness on the business side that their link has to be in place in order to be able to actually fund and, and, and develop products, I think is something that not always is, uh, is present. As you work with, uh, you know, across multiple clients and you see patterns and trends across the industry, do you see a growing recognition or awareness that there has that this link must be there? Absolutely. I see, for example, one of the most sought after uh, skill sets, right, in the technology marketplace, fun enough these days, right, there are effectively two, I think. One is, you know, cloud architecture, right? Cloud architecture is a is a hot commodity in the marketplace. But the other one it can be surprising, but actually, if you think about it, it's understandable, is uh, uh, product managers, right? So a good product manager <clears throat> is, is critical, right? And so it shows that there is more and more understanding and demand in the market for this type of skill set. And then everyone in the market as well talks about platforms, right? No matter what business you're in, you know, having a platform strategy is, is key, right? So these type of discussions were very common <clears throat> years ago, of course, in the technology companies, but I'm, I'm starting to see that shift also in other sectors. Let's talk about the CIO role. Many of the folks who watch CXO Talk are involved with IT. You've, you've kind of laid out a general set of priorities and, and approaches, but as a practical matter, how does this impact the work of the chief information officer? The work of the CIO has always been very strategic for every enterprise, right? So it's very important. Sometimes there is not that full acknowledgement, but we all know, especially we are in that, in the, for us, that we are in that uh, position for enterprise, you know, how important it is that, you know, the IT systems are working as expected, especially if you think about the pandemic, right? For us, we shifted, you know, 350,000 people from 85% of the people being in the office on a Friday to, uh, to having everyone you know, from home on Monday morning, right? So that wouldn't be possible without a, a significant technology infrastructure investment. But unfortunately, what happens in some companies, right, is that there is still the kind of push of, you know, oh yeah, but that's IT, right? That's, it's a function like, you know, could be talent, it could be, you know, other procurement and others, right? So there is that kind of an understanding, you know, assumption that, it's a function, needs to be funded as a function. And I need in that position as a CIO more an administrator of outsourcing contracts than a partner, of, a partner of the business. So to me, that is what is the challenge moving forward is that we need to evolve and, and you know, our role of CIOs and CTOs in the enterprise to become more and more partners of the business. And so that requires, you know, in some cases, um, a different skill set or an evolution, right, of ourselves, right, towards that direction. But that's what effectively the business needs much less than need, you know, the operator, right? I think the operations, it's important, but, you know, in a cloud world, I think those things are going to become a little bit easier for all of us, should take less time. And so we need to focus more on that kind of a support and partnership with the business. When you talk about the need for the CIO to be closely aligned with the business, it seems like such an obvious kind yeah. of statement. So what are the, the obstacles or the impediments or the challenges that interfere 
with that happening? So a couple of things. So in so th- th- if, if you think even about the title, right, the chief information officer, right, is it's a title that shows you know how do you use information in a way that is strategic within the enterprise, and um, and this is happening at times. Sometimes it's not happening because I think we get bogged down a lot by the operational issues. So the, most of the CIOs that I know and I work with, they all had a struggle with the same problem, right? So it's, you know, it's all good and great. I want to be partner of the business. I want to work with the business to change and to evolve the, this enterprise. But at the same time, you know what? I have lots of tickets that I need to address for my ERP systems or my network and security and so on. So we get dragged down into that endless cycle of operations, right? That subtract times from you know our ability to dedicate it to more strategic topics so that's why why we have split that function so i don't deal a lot fortunately <laughs> with operational issues right so uh steve does it uh with me but you know i that, that frees up my time okay so there has to be that acknowledgement that if you really want technology to be evolving right as one of the drivers for growth we need to give the opportunity to cios and ctos to really work in that space versus, you know, being dragged down by that. And I suppose also when there's an overabundance of technical debt that has to be recovered, that takes time and energy and resources away from innovation as well. Exactly. So that's another issue, right? So I've seen organizations where, you know, up to 85 to 90% of the budget of the year is consumed by technical debt. And this is a it's it's a self-reinforcing you know issue, right? Because every year it becomes worse. So what we have done, I, I can tell you what we have done internally. So I don't know if it's the right answer, but it worked for us. Is that we had done? You know, I went to the board and I said, you know, if we continue with the growth of our technology, which is a great thing, right? We'll end up having to use all our budget to pay for cloud consumption. And so we will not have the resources to dedicate to the build of new technology. And, and so the, the board decided that, you know what, we're going to actually change the way we budget for variable consumption of technology resources. So instead of being like, you know, funded through the yearly budget, it gets actually distributed and allocated based on consumption. And so it becomes a variable cost, but at least we don't have a disincentive to adoption of technology because we cannot afford to pay for the consumption cost, right? And I think this is a problem that it's uh, it's common to a lot of organizations, but I think the cloud can help because it helps to variabilize a fixed cost, right? So if you had to manage a data center, you don't really have a lot of options. Of course, you know, you can prorata the cost across different initiatives, but it's much more difficult. With cloud billing and economic models, I think that becomes much easier. And, and we don't have, you know, and, and we're in a situation where if it most of it is variable, right? So it depends on the level of adoption of the technology itself. So we have a great question coming in now from Wayne Anderson. And he says that the CIO role has been changing so rapidly over the last four or five years. How does this evolution change the nature of the relationship between the CIO and the CTO to position the C- CIO for success in 2022 going going forward. If you look at, we talked about the CIO, but if you look about, about the role of the CTO, 
I think you know there are major changes there as well, right? So if you traditionally, at least in my experience, the CTO has been always like you know sort of a chief architect of an enterprise for technology, right? And so the CTO was the one to decide you know which what kind of technology we should use, not use, and so on. And so a lot of the time that um, was available was invested actually in software selection or other type of activities specifically you know, targeted on architecture-related topics. I think with the emergence of the cloud, uh, what happens is that, at least this is what we do at EY, is that almost by default, we, we, we revert to the technology, that particular technology component that is available through the main cloud that we have adopted. It doesn't mean that we are single cloud or we are actually multi-cloud and hybrid cloud at the same time. But if we are on a specific one of the main clouds, right, by default, if we had to do some AI work, right, we tend to use that tool. If we need to do data work, we tend to use the tool that that particular provider offers. And so that I think actually streamlines, streamlines a lot, you know, the software selection process, you know, there is way less work that needs to be done in terms of technology strategy in detail. And so the role of the CTO becomes more of that, of almost, I want to say like, no, I want to say like that, but almost like an internal consultant, right, for technology. And so it's more about the vision and where we want to go versus, you know, should I use product A or product B? Because that decision is kind of made already by the cloud provider or the cloud stack. It's not, I don't want to use like this as a blanket statement, right, but it's, it's that. So if you think about that evolution of the CTO role, Right. Maybe you need also different type of people in that position as well, right? People that are more, you know, kind of truly at the intersection of the business and technology. And we have a question from LinkedIn that touches this precisely. This is from Anshuman Das, who says, aside from hiring new talent, what is your re- your advice regarding to, to close the talent and skill gaps with existing practitioners in a technology organization? What we had done internally, um, and I, it worked for us, but you know, again, you know, depends on the specific situation. So what, one thing that I noticed is that when I came over in the role is that we had the cultural gap, right? So um, from a, um, so we had a lot of people that were really good at doing very specific tasks and they can operate very well, right? And we were incentivizing them based on operational metrics. Okay, can we meet the SLAs? Yes or no. If we can, great job. If we cannot, you know, you need to do something about it. The the world, I think, in the future will be different. And we, we focused a lot on giving people an opportunity. So, and the other thing that actually happened was happening before is that we had we had a lot of specialists, right? So we had the DBAs, we had you know system engineers and so on. But what I noticed is that actually people want to learn, right? And want to grow in their careers. So what we did is that we offered two things. So one was a tech MBA, right? So we gave the opportunity to all the technology people to um, do an we had a collaboration with the, with academic institutions to actually learn more about the business, right? So we, 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 we've we been focusing on getting technology people to actually to move on the business side, as well as, you know, giving them the opportunity to learn more about the business. And the second dimension is that we actually came in and, you know, using a little bit our 
the same approach that we had to for our consulting organization, create a technology career path, right? That was much more defined. So people felt that, yes, they were great at doing what they were doing, but also they had the opportunity to grow. And we have, you know, empowered them like with tools and capabilities and so on to actually grow. Of course, not everyone can make the leap, right? So unfortunately, uh, that is the reality of things. But, you know, we had very little attrition, even these days when technology talent is, you know, in dire need for, for everyone, you know, our attrition rates are actually really, really low compared to the industry average. So I think we're doing something good about that. Another question from Arslan Khan is asking about the role of enter- enterprise architecture yes. in all this. You know, I have to say, I, I love the questions that come in from Twitter and LinkedIn, and we jump around a little bit, but the questions are great. And so I encourage everybody watching, just keep going. When the decision of going with one cloud stack has been made as a primary one, the role of enterprise architecture changes, right? It's it's not anymore again to choose. Okay, which which um, you know um, API management layer should I use versus you know what AI tool should I use? Because it comes kind of with the package, right, of of, of the cloud stack. So the role of the enterprise architecture, in my mind, is more about um, the creation of those templates and methods and tools that are specific to the enterprise. So it's less about, let me choose the tool. It's more about taking the tool that is available and make it relevant and applicable to our own environment. Okay, so for example, we have an enterprise architecture function, of course, and why? And they're very much focused on developing, you know, the, you know, the, the, the service architecture and the standards and the developer experience, because we also use a lot of third parties actually to to help us doing the work. And so we wanna make sure that whatever we develop, we develop according to those standards. So there's been a little bit of a kind of interesting, a little bit the opposite of what happened for some of the other function, much more inward focus and really very much, you know, directed towards the establishment of these standards and best practices around development as we use tools that are available through the cloud stacks. And we have yet another question coming in from Twitter. This is again from Arsalan. The the impact of technology on changing the roles. We were just talking about the roles that people play. How will the technology affect that? Automation, right, depending how we define automation, but without getting into too much of that philosophical (laughs) debate, I think in general, even if you think about probably advanced AI, right, which is not quite there yet, but it's going, it's getting there. I don't think our jobs will be affected that much. The tasks that we perform within our jobs are going to be affected a lot. So I'm a believer of the Centaur model, right, where you have technology plus the human together. Right? I don't think the technology will ever replace the human. So if I look at our business, I don't see a future where we have robots doing audits or robots giving advice to clients. That's not going to happen. However, if you don't use technology to improve your judgment, then, of course, you know, then you're going to be very quickly uh, non-relevant right? in, uh, in, in the economic system. So if you are a consultant in supply chain, for example, and you don't use 
you know, uh, detailed analysis of the marketplace, uh, flows of trade, and all those kind of things, you, you're gonna you're not gonna get the right type of advice, right? But so I think it's really about combining the human and the machine. And so we will do different things in the future, but, when, but our jobs will, will still be there, 100%. And we have another question on exactly this topic from Twitter. And again, this is from Wayne Anderson. Wayne Anderson and Arslan Khan are on a roll. They're really, really into it. Uh, and Wayne wants to know how are uh, global skills going to need to change as we move forward and what should folks do today to break out of this uh the ops view the operations view in order to plan for the future and to contribute in more innovative ways to the to the organization the global nature actually is a, is a challenge right um we truly live in a, i mean i'm not saying anything you know <laughs> shattering at this point right but we we truly live in a global world and there is no alternative to global teams, right? So if I look at the pandemic, right? If we're sitting, I sit in the Silicon Valley or I sit in, uh, in Switzerland, it doesn't really matter, right? I'm still working with the same team. And so one thing that is sometimes missing is the ability, the cultural empathy. So to me, in order to create a global team, it's less about the skills, the, the hard skills, right? For technology, it's more about the ability for people to, be empathetic and you know reward diversity understand cultural backgrounds so that you know we can be more effective okay so that i don't see that you know it's still i think it's a little bit of a barrier to create efficient global teams the ability of understanding that you know whatever i say or i think uh, in uh, as i am performing my uh, duties in the united states it might be read in a different way in europe or in asia Okay, so that, that is still something that I think it requires from all of us to get more empathetic about that. And then uh, in terms of the operation, I mean, it, 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 it's really complicated. Okay, so I, I, one of the things that we had done is that we, it took quite a few months actually to do it, but we went to a bu the zero budgeting type of an approach as well first, right? And then we went to the zero budgeting plus product approach, product-centric approach. So in terms of the... I mean, it, I think it happens to every enterprise. It, it requires a lot of support from the top. The fact that you go in and say, you know, you have to justify again why you need to pay for this particular technology, right? So, and, and usually the answer is, is people say is that because it's sunk cost, right? So I spend in this technology for the last 10 years, why do you want to stop now, right? But, you know, it's almost like Band-Aid, right? At some point, we need to rip it off. And so I know it's easy to do, to say, <laughs> very difficult to do, but it's it's inevitable. And I think zero-based budgeting, as for us, has been helping quite a bit. It's very interesting to hear you talk about technology as being a sunk cost in that way, because that's kind of the nice corporate way of saying, uh, you know, we've always done it this way. And we're always going to do it this way because we've always done it this way. We discover things like, for example, we were paying for supporting applications that, you know, had two users, right? One, and, you know, two users in our context is nothing, right? 350,000 people. So, and, or maybe one client. And, and sometimes, you know, we, 
it was easier actually for us to go to the client and say, you know what, we had discontinued this application, but we have a new one that replaces it and it's time to move on, right? So I know it's not that easy. It's one of the most difficult things that can be done, right, For in our jobs. But the starting point is always that kind of a strong support from the business and then making them understand that, you know, if you do that, then there will be more money for, for, for the growth initiatives. Chris Peterson asks, with the shifting focus and business model of the CTO organization and the CIO organization, how does EY handle the flow of new products from one to the other as they become operational? So in other words, the, the practical handoffs, how you work with the CIO organization. So first of all, we try not to have any duplication. Okay, so we went through an extensive analysis making sure that, for example, when we do a help desk, right, there is only one help desk. It's managed in a consistent way. So we try not to replicate that. And second, you know, we keep, we try, we tend to keep, again, those, the revenue generating technology separate from the enablement technology. There are touch points, right? Happens a lot. For example, if you think about our, you know, presence on the web, right, it could be, both, right, is revenue generating because it attracts customers, right, or a CRM tool, for example, it's revenue generating and at the same time enablement. So when that happens, we actually jointly manage. It doesn't happen, actually, it happens less than what I thought at the beginning because we build organization, the two organizations that fit for purpose. So we, again, avoiding overlap. Whenever there was, we had this sense that, we, you know, oh, maybe you are doing these things twice, like it happens when you manage, for example, <clears throat> workflow tools so things like that you know we had to sit down and, and 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 be very clear we tend to we like to 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 manage it in a very disciplined way and say no if if this is you know fits this particular criteria is with you if not it's with me and then on top of it we have created an organization that it's you know we borrowed the concept from technology companies so it's nothing new but called customer success that effectively acts as a sort of a, a broker, right? Or triage mechanism. So whenever a, a demand comes in, the, organiz- the rest of the business sees it as a, you know, it's a technology request is going into the technology organization, but then behind the scenes, we actually triage it and send it to the appropriate team. So there is one stop shop for technology DY, but, but actually behind it, we created teams that have different characteristics because the work is different. We have another question from LinkedIn. And again, this is from Anshuman Das. And and I'm getting this question a lot from people in general recently. And that is, can you share the role of the CIO and CTO in achieving ESG goals? First, we started thinking about the ESG is actually different. And so we had to create a sort of a bolt-on that was specialized in ESG. And then very quickly, we realized that actually, if we're serious about DSG, has to be everywhere. And so what we had done is that we, we, we have an organization, of course, that takes the leadership in terms of you know, pushing the strategy and the vision that we have around DSG. But then from a technology perspective, we have effectively equipped all our main you know, programs and activities within ESG's you know, dedicated person versus trying to do everything kind of a in some cases, I've seen it in the past, right, where you have the, G- the chief digital officer 
that acts on top of everybody, which is, you know, it's difficult to make it happen efficiently because they usually they don't have a portfolio. The other guys say, why are you intruding in my business and so on, right? So that bolt-on approach, it didn't really work out very well for us. We tried. And so that's why we're now reverting to an approach where we, whenever we build something and we launch something, one of the questions that we ask ourselves is, like, what is the G implication? So are we so from a conceptual perspective? So are we there yet across the board? No, but I think we we like this approach much better than the previous one. So essentially, you're trying to build in ESG awareness and action into what your activities are. All the products versus having like a team on the side screaming and say, "Oh, you need to do more ESG." No, it's part of the way we want to actually develop, deploy products. Right? It has to be aware of that of those uh, thematics as well. I suppose when you have uh, an issue that you believe is strategic, then that's the right way to do it as opposed to saying, well, let's have a bunch of ESG activities. No, we're going to bake it into what we do. In my life, a lot of you know AI work, right? And when you think about, you know, what, six, seven years ago when there was this like, you know, not picking up again of, of AI as a main topic, right? One of the things that was happening is that people started working on a lot of use cases. But the use case was, these use cases were kind of disconnected so from each other, right? So they were not really based on this kind of one ahead AI everywhere. And so this disconnect created a situation where the business value return was not that great, okay? So some of these roadmaps look like a lot of dots. And so I'm a believer, for example, for AI and for data, but also for ESG these days, that those capabilities had to be embedded, they had to be native of the products that we build versus, you know, bolt-on on a bunch of use cases, you know, around the enterprise. Yes, makes perfect sense. Uh, and we have another question from Twitter advice. So, so oftentimes we hear advice to technologists about understanding the business, but what can we as technologists do to help business folks understand our domain my best um, example was that you know i show up and the business guys oh we need to be more agile right as an example and i said you know what do you know what that means though because it's nice to say it but you know it's not uh, but when you said so basically most of my business colleagues right they said that they wanted agile but it was a, a unidirectional agile so you want the technology people to be reactive and you know do whatever the business wants, of course, right? But as, as everything what had to be delivered by a certain date, with a certain scope, and with a certain budget. So it was a combination of agile and waterfall. But the people that were actually under pressure in this model were the technology people, right? Because the business, oh, you had to be agile, so I can change the requirements at the last minute as long as you deliver it by Monday anyway, right? And so it wasn't really a fair deal. And so what I did, <laughs> actually I bought a bunch of books. I'm not going to say because I don't want to advertise the book, but it was a very nice book about uh, you know product management that um, I very much enjoyed reading. And I gave it to all my leadership, my, my colleagues in, in the board and in other forums. And then I said, you know, you guys need to read about this because... Uh, you know, it, it's it's different. And so now, are we out of the woods? No, but at least I think they're starting to understand that in order, there is another world out there, which is the world of technology. And the world of technology works differently, right? So when we deliver a, a piece of software, 
it's black or white, right? Are we, is it working or not, right? Sometimes in the business, especially in consulting organization, it's all maybe more shades of gray. But when you think about that, so in order to have that black or white outcome, you need the level of discipline and understanding of the challenges of each other. So have we solved the problem? No, but at least there is a little bit of awareness. So we spend time to try to, to educate the business organization. And I think that is critical, by the way. Your considered advice, given all these things that we've been discussing, what advice do you have for chief information officers at this time regarding technology and investment planning? Sometimes we need to be bolder with the business organization. And bolder means that um, the role that technology has to play these days, it's gigantic, okay? We could, I mean, we had in the 90s, right, the role of the CIO coming together, big ERP systems, all of that. But I think these days, the way we consume technology is really unprecedented. Uh, without even having to go to the metaverse or these things that are a little bit down the road, right? But if you think about how do we interact with technology and what businesses need to do to be relevant, it, 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 there is no business without, like, uh, without technology. So be bolder. Ask for the support. I think for me personally, being elevated to the board has been absolutely critical because at that point it was a big statement, right? That the firm made that, you know what? Technology is so important that I'm going to put that person at that level. And so sometimes I still see CIOs that are buried within a corporate structure too deep. They don't have that access. They don't... Uh, they're not given the opportunity to be uh, assertive, right? When And if lots of business organizations think, okay, yeah, there's those, the IT guys, okay? It's not the IT guys anymore, right? Technology is as important as labor and it's important as capital. And if you don't do it right, so that to me is the biggest thing that we need to do. So be bold, assertive, make sure that the, the business understands how, this is, how important this is. I love that. If you're a CIO, be bold, be assertive, take the bull by the horns, as they say. What a quick conversation. A huge thank you to Nicola Marini Bianzino. He is the global CTO at EY. Nicola, thank you so much for taking your time to be with us today. Thank you for having me, Michael. Everybody, thank you for watching, especially the people who ask such great questions. Before you go, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button at the top of our website, and we will send you our excellent newsletter so you'll know what shows we have coming up. Check out CXOTalk.com, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye.